This episode is brought to you by Summer School Electronics. With pedals like the Snow Day Delay, the Pep Rally Fuzz, the Trash Panda, and my personal favorite, the Science Fair, which is two classic dirt pedals in one with a mid-boosted overdrive on one side, a black lab rat circuit on the other, and a blend knob to blend between them to find the perfect classic stacked dirt sound you're looking for, it's hard not to find something you'll love. Mark builds all of his pedals by hand in Syracuse, New York, where he also works as a full-time educator. In addition to the super fun graphics on their pedals, Mark also offers custom artwork. Want your dog's face on a pedal? He can do it. Want your face on a pedal? He can make that happen too. Go over to summerschoolelectronics.com and make sure to tell them that 40 Watt Podcast sent you. Forty Waters, welcome to another episode of Forty Watt Podcast. So happy to have you joining me today. Uh, thank you so much for all the listens, downloads, all the support that's come into the podcast, especially in the few weeks that we've been off here. Had a lot of great folks reaching out to me, um, just seeing how things were going, and I really, really appreciate all the folks chiming in, supporting the show, and uh, joining the Patreon. You all heard about the Patreon and the ad before the show. Uh, unless you're a Patreon member in which you don't get the ads. So you get to hear it without me asking you for more money. Uh, thank you for those of you that do support the show. I'm going to call you all out at the end of the show uh, to thank you again for all the support you give me. I like to name name the names that keep this train on the tracks. It really helps me out, and I really, really appreciate it. So having said all that, let's get into this episode. I'm super excited. Um I'm having a hard time actually classifying David what you do, but welcome to the show. I'm gonna um uh David Ross of David Ross Musical Instruments. Um so David, you make pedals, I know you've built an amp, I know you do like guitar repair, like you sort of like got your hands in a whole bunch of fires and whatnot. Um sure. lots of lots of work in the gear world, lots of conversations over in the Discord server. Listener, if you're into discord there is a discord server for this podcast there's a lot of cool folks that uh basically we spend the whole time convincing each other to buy in uh buy guitars and amps it's it's a great time um but david let's step back let's do the thirty thousand foot view who are you how did you get into guitar how'd you get into doing guitar repair building pedals and amps and that kind of stuff uh well i'm david ross uh i'm from binghamton new york um, I suppose it really all starts with my father, who uh, is a multi-instrumentalist. Um, he's a guitar player, and uh, he's also a music teacher and uh, live performer. He plays avant-garde jazz uh, in a live format, and oh, wow. also a blues musician. And so um, I've always been into music, um, and it's kind of a reflection, you know, of my father who kind of got me into it from a very young age. Um, I would say that when I was, uh, when I was young, like I played a bunch of different instruments, but never really connected with one specifically, um, up until probably around my 13th birthday or so when my parents, uh, they got me a Behringer Strat, which was like $99 with a, <coughs> little practice amp. And, um, it was really when I learned that 
I could play music that I was into at the time that I really took off with it. Um, the first song that I kind of learned to play on my own was For Whom the Bell Tolls by Metallica. Oh, I, man. I just was able to play that, like just kind of looking at tabs and was able to figure it out. And that really kind of clicked for me. Um, then from there, um, it was basically just learning guitar um, up until I was probably 17 or 18 when, you know, as you do when you get playing guitar, you kind of, uh, you know, change the strings, uh, do little modifications here and there. And so one day, I guess I kind of got taking apart the guitar for whatever reason. And I realized, like, you know, it, it all kind of makes sense the way that it's set up. And so I, I just found that very fascinating, like the, the more mechanical aspect of the guitar. And so uh, from there, I, I really kind of dove deep into guitar repair and guitar building. And uh, I, I pretty much wanted to build guitars pretty much exclusively. But um, I knew that repair would be kind of the foundation of that type of thing. And so uh, probably from around 2007 or so until now, I've been really like deep in guitar repair. And uh, this kind of culminated last year around this time when I started my business mm -hmm. and uh, doing guitar repair out of my house in Binghamton. And uh, so, yeah, it, it's, it's been an interesting year. I probably learned more in the past year or so than in any other year of my life just running the business, you know, doing guitar repair for customers. So um, that's pretty much where I'm at with it right now. That's a that's a pretty big jump going from, you know, because I, I had a similar experience. You know, I learned to play guitar, then you're, uh, you know, you learn how to change your own strings. I feel like that's always the first, it should be the first step. Y'all, please go. If, you, if you're not changing your own strings, <laughs> it's super easy. Please learn to do it. Save yourself that trouble. Don't take it to the music store. For all my friends who work in music stores, I asked them about that. And they said, yeah, they said the number of people that bring it back to the music store to get the strings changed blows their mind. I'm like, pair of wire cutters and you can do the whole job. Seriously. Yeah. Um, or, or a $5 string winder. Um, but yeah, and that's how I got started. Then sort of doing modifications. I wanted to change pickups. So I learned to solder, but that's still... Even then, when you even when you get into doing your own setups and you know adjusting truss rods, and that's a big leap to me to get from, you know, doing that kind of work into saying I want to build guitars or I want to do. To me, the moment you start talking fret work too, that's like the thing that is scary oh, yes. to me, super scary to me. Although it I think I, be. yeah, it's it's super scary. I do think I've got a I've got a beater guitar. I think I'm going to. Uh, finally bite the bullet and I'm going to order some, some, you know, fret wire and some tools and learn to refret a guitar. I'm going, I'm going to learn to do it and then I'm going to completely butcher it and then I'm going to try to fix it and then I'm going to have to do it again. And I already know that that's exactly how that's going to happen. You um, got it. Yeah. But so that's, that's still a pretty, pretty big leap. So you're in, you're doing guitar repair now, uh, how many you've built any guitars yet? I know we've talked about amps and pedals, and we're going to get to those here in a little bit. Um, I have, uh, yeah, I built, I would say probably six to eight guitars um, okay. of varying quality. Um, my first guitar was just, you know, brutal. 
just oh yeah completely as, terrible. It, as it is as it is yeah um and then kind of over the years i've built really a handful because my feeling was um i could keep building guitars and keep doing that and they would kind of i, I would get you know incrementally better but i felt like having the repair work as the foundation i really kind of understand the guitar and understand like every repair um, would really benefit me in building guitars moving forward. So my last guitar that I built was probably, I think last year, I have two currently that I'm kind of working on, but I'm busy with other things. Um, The last one that I built um, that it was close there. I had a bunch of mistakes, just some, you know, just, not paying attention or just minor things. And, but I, I really feel like I'm, I'm almost on the verge of a breakthrough with it. Um, my goal eventually is to sell guitars that I build, but I found that my skills as a guitar builder don't quite line up with where I'm at as a business person. Gotcha. And so um, I, I still need to work it out and, you know, figure out, exactly how I want to do it. And, you know, when I bring something to market, just really make it as good as a Gibson, as good as a Fender or, you know, any other custom building. That's really my goal for it. Yeah. When you get out there, you want that thing that you're offering to be at the the quality level that, that you believe it should be. Cause you don't want to, you don't want to, and I realize some, some people do this and that's fine. Um, it's one thing to put something out and then be like, well, the next one's going to be better. The next one's going to be better. Well, that first one better be good. Like if you're going to come out, you need to come out swinging. And it's a, it's a hard thing to do to, to get to that level. And, but see it, you think about this, but I've noticed like, because my Instagram feed, by the way, listener, if you don't follow me on Instagram, it's really easy to find me at 40 watt podcast, four zero watt podcast over on Instagram. Um, I'll probably follow you back. Cause that's who I am as a person. But, um, uh, there's so many amazing guitar builders now that uh, they're not like documentary style documenting, but they document their techniques. Like there's video. I'm every time I scroll through, there's somebody showing how they shape a, a net heel or there's so, somebody showing the way they, um, route the top or how they file the frets or how they round fret ends. I love actually it's, it's almost ASMR levels, how much I love watching people round fret ends because that is such an incredible skill um, that's lost on some builders. I'm not naming names. Um, so I, it's, and then you add to that, you got YouTube, you've got all the other resources. Stumac offers more than they ever have. And there's other companies popping up offering these time. It is a it is the best time I think in the history to try to learn to build instruments in general. Um, I don't know if you've noticed that, that there's just so many resources out there for learning to do it. Whereas you used to have to track down a builder, uh, someone of, of uh, you know great quality, great skill, and then you had to just screw up guitars under their tutelage for years mm-hmm. just to learn some of these skills that are being offered just video all the time. Well, I mean, with with the videos, they make it look so easy because, you know, they've been at it for so long. But I can say that in my process of repairing guitars and building guitars, I mean, I've absolutely (laughs) butchered some guitars and but all of all of my own. I I can honestly say, like, you know, I've I've never 
butchered a customer's guitar because, you know, I know better than to do that. And yeah, part of the process is, you know, just making mistakes. Like you can watch all the videos you want, but you know, once it's you and the guitar, I mean, you can screw it up in a hurry. Like I've often thought that a mistake that you make with a guitar in five seconds can cost you five hours of work. I mean, it's, it's that brutal, but you're right. And when you say, um, it's never been better as far as finding resources on techniques, um, how people put things together. And when I was kind of learning all of this, like back in 2007, it was still a really good time. Um, not as good as now because, you know, it's even expanded further, but right. I remember going on the, like the old project guitar forum and seeing builders like Ola Strandberg, like when he was just starting out and just being amazed by like the CNC work and just, you know, the professionalism of his builds and the quality. Also with uh, Ormsby guitars back then oh, yeah. um, when he was really getting going and uh, stuff like that was really inspiring for me because, you know, I, I felt like I was on that type of path and seeing their work was just you know phenomenal. You know, it's, it's funny you talk about the CNC. That's something else that is, is pretty mind boggling. We're not there where I'm going to call it affordable, but like a home CNC machine has become relatively affordable. You see various companies that offer, you know, varying size and quality of CNC machines, but like for somebody, and I'm not, I don't have prices and I wouldn't even try to quote them if I could, but you know, if somebody wanted to get into guitar building seriously and wanted to have their own CNC machine, it's actually attainable. Without, you know, being, you know, independently wealthy now. And, and I, I think some of the stigma around CNC guitars has, has died out because I think people have realized that even when you CNC a guitar, there's a lot of handwork that still has to go into it. You know, all the CNC is doing is letting the, what normally was basically a lumberjack job to get the rough shape of it out and, and, and get that into your hands so that you can actually start to do the fine skill work of turning it into a musical instrument and not just a guitar shaped object. Right. Um, yeah. With CNC, I, I, it's something that I actually was very interested in a while back and I pressed <laughs> it out. Like probably the biggest thing, the biggest consideration is actually the electrical, like getting two twenty, um, just, you know, getting everything together. I pressed it out with like dust collection with like the bits with really everything you need. I created an Excel sheet and like was really thorough with it. I think it was probably between four and five grand you could expect to pay for like a, a very quality machine, which is not a tremendous amount of money. If that's super this is reasonable. What you're into. Yeah, yeah, that's that's super reasonable because if you're if you're gonna looking at going the route of a CNC, you're probably pretty serious about what you're doing at that point. And a four to five thousand dollar investment seems a really reasonable investment into the amount of time that that's going to save you. Um, uh, that's before you put in all the programming time where that's a whole other podcast. Um, mm -hmm. But <clears throat> I think it's really getting super affordable to do those kinds of things. You see, uh, you know, I, I, you look at somebody like that's so respected, like Novo and they've got like three or four CNC machines. They're seeing out CNC in the main portion of the guitars out. Um, the part that always gets the hardest for me, and like, like we were talking about at the top of the show, is is when you get to a neck. The neck, I think, is where guitar makers really 
the 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 body and and I want to talk about the style of the guitars you you're looking at building too because I'm kind of interested in that. Um, I think the body is how you get people's attention at first. That's how you get the average player's attention. Mm-hmm. You get you really get the player's attention though by the neck of the guitar. That's what sells the guitar to somebody because that's sure. what you actually play. And that's where all I think that's where the the craftsmanship really comes into play because I've played some beautiful guitars that had terrible necks and and vice versa some really hideous guitars that just played beautifully um so when you talk about style of guitars what kind of stuff are are you into like are you really into uh vintage inspired are you really into really doing something different i know you've already mentioned strandberg which is you know i don't know when they'll start to be considered sort of a normal guitar style yeah they're definitely niche um yeah yeah but as far as the style of guitar that I'm interested in, actually, probably, I think it was my second Instagram post, um, actually shows one of the guitars that I built. And uh, it's basically a super strat, um, 24 frets, um, unusual design with the body. Um, you'd have to see it to really kind of make what you make of it. But right. uh, at this point, after doing repairs for so long and kind of seeing what people play and just, you know, through my own personal playing, I think there needs to be kind of a, a transition between kind of more vintage and more modern. Like I, I wouldn't be looking to make something super modern, um, but also not, you know, just making tellies, for example. I think, <laughs> yeah, I think that uh, probably, a nice middle ground between the two um, where really anybody can pick it up and feel comfortable with it. That's kind of the style of guitar. I tend to lean more backwards than forwards. I would say. Yeah. I feel like that's where like builders like Tom Anderson and, and John sir, that's sort of like the world they live in is vintage inspired instruments made for modern players. Right. Um, you, You see their heritage, you see the legacy uh, no one's going to pick up a Sir and not uh, not see the Fender uh, influence, but yeah. it's definitely its very own instrument. It's it, it's not it's it's not just a you know he's not remaking a '63 Strat over here. He's he's doing something very much his own and very different. And I love that idea. Um, I'm not good at playing super modern guitars. I wish I were. Um, yeah, I found that a lot of them are just you know, they get to be trendy or, you know, that type of thing. And one thing that I think people have to remember is the Stratocaster, you know, the, the Les Paul Tally. I mean, they really got it right. Like pretty much off the bat. Like there's a reason why they've stuck, stuck around for as long as they have. I mean, they're just, they're so well designed and to go too far away from that, I think, doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, I think it gets harder to, I think it gets a lot harder to reinvent that too, because those guitars simultaneously, you know, emerged at the, at the roots of rock and roll, you know, Buddy Holly playing a Strat. That was like rock and roll. Um, Then, then just on through the years and you we're getting to a time now where, you know, there's the conversation that there aren't really any guitar heroes anymore, at least not any new ones. I mean, John Mayer, for love him or hate him, may be may end up being the last quote unquote guitar hero, 
and the man plays a strat. You know what I mean? Right. So you you've also got that uphill climb of is there going to be an artist influential enough who doesn't play a vintage inspired instrument that might actually push a new guitar into that echelon, a new style of guitar into that echelon. I don't, I don't see it happening. I feel like if it were going to happen, it would have happened by now. I mean, Strat, Telly, Les Paul, the mo, the, the newest guitar of those three is the Les Paul. And it came out in 1953. Right. You know? Yeah. I think, um, just because there's such a long history with those guitars, I think, you know, a, a modern guitar hero coming by with something, you know, new, I don't really see that happening either. But that isn't to say I don't think guitar is in a good place. I really, I I do. I think it's, it's kind of, you know, broadened out. Um, yeah, oh, yeah. You know, there's, there used to be three channels on TV. Now there's, <laughs> you know, however many, so. Um, now it's all the streaming services. Yeah, pretty much. I pay, I pay more but, for uh, streaming services than I ever did for cable. Yeah. But yeah, I I think guitar is in a good place with that type of thing. But um, I mean, it, it would really have to be somebody who like, you know, a, a Taylor Swift level of person to kind of bring a new guitar to the forefront. I, yeah, I, I don't really see I, it happening yeah, no. See, that's the thing. I think guitar actually is more popular now than it's ever been. I, I 100% I think so believe too. that. Yeah. But the but you're not seeing it's all these pockets, you know? There's not any one person really capturing everyone's imagination playing guitar in a, a Taylor Swift level actually. So that's a really good illustration in what she does with with her fandom and the the buzz that's generated around her. If Taylor Swift were not just a singer songwriter and she's a, she's a talented musician in her own right. But if she were like a virtuosic guitar player and played a new style of guitar and had her fandom. Yeah. There, you might see something happen there. I mean, right. there you go. There you go. Strandberg, get, get Taylor Swift on board. And uh, <laughs> that would be a nice pairing. That would, that would be interesting. <laughs> yeah. But so, so you're into guitar repair. You're, you've been doing this for for quite a while now. You're you're going on. You said uh, 08 or so late. Oh seven, oh eight. Yeah, I'm yeah. probably about 13 years in or so um, with guitar repair and with guitar pedals. I'm when did I start? I think about 2016 was when I okay. built my first guitar pedal from a kit. Which again, like you know, the learning experience, the wiring was terrible and. But got it to work, so and yeah. you know, pr- progressed from there. Wiring is wiring is such an overlooked skill. I um, just a couple of days ago, um, I, I swapped some pickups out in a guitar that I bought, and it's a semi-hollow guitar, and it's a real pain to get in and out of that guitar. But oh, it's the uh, Epiphone dot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the dot Epiphone yeah. that I was pulling the Fraylens out of, and I was putting some stock Epiphone pickups in so I could move the Fraylens and. I realized now this is, I don't know, this is the fourth or fifth time that I've changed pickups in a semi hollow guitar. And I discovered that I'm getting better at this. It -hmm. was a much faster, much smoother, cleaner process this time than in the past. Um, And actually I, I, I used a totally different method. I didn't use, you know, surgical tubing. I didn't use fishing line this time. I actually used some uh, just spare, electrical wire that I had around and I stripped the ends and wrapped it around the post that way. Cause it gave me something a little easier to hold on to and manipulate. 
and um, it went very, very clean, very, very smooth, and it, you know, got it all back together, and everything worked perfectly the first time. I think that's a first for a semi-hollow guitar, um, and it's that, you know, the solder joints were better, the, you know, just the time it took, and that's that skill, that's that learning how to do it. It's a simple thing. Soldering is really simple. You heat up a low melting point metal and you put it onto metals and it it welds it them together. It. Yeah, it bonds it. It sounds like a simple thing. It is not as simple as it sounds. And just over time, you get better and better and better at it. And that first pedal is going to be a wreck. Um, yeah. You're lucky I, if it works. Yeah. And it usually doesn't work right away. You have yeah. to troubleshoot and all that. But also another thing that nobody really talks about with uh, with soldering, like with guitar wiring, the quality of the iron and also the quality of the solder gets overlooked. I mean, I used yeah. terrible solder for years because I, you know, I didn't really know better. And, uh, you know, you'd get stuff that would like bunch up or it wouldn't heat, you know, create terrible joints. But now I'm using... Um, I'm using Kester solder, which is like more expensive, but I mean, it's just a dream to work with. There's just never an issue with it. So that's yeah. A, I need to I need to replace my solder really badly. I I had the same spool because I didn't do a lot of soldering. You know, I soldered pickups. That that was the main soldering I did. Occasionally, I would you know swap some capacitors out in an amp where a capacitor blew something small. Um, so I bought this one spool of solder in the mid two thousands big spool but from radio shack which tells you how long ago it was um (coughs) and i just ran out of it this year and so i bought some more solder and i had not had to buy solder in 15 years yeah that the Mm -hmm. solder i bought is is not the not the best stuff to work with i didn't don't enjoy that process but upgrading my soldering iron was the best decision i've ever made even for the little bit of soldering I do, I spent some money on a good iron. Um, Hako, I think. Hako, yeah. Hako, yeah, yeah. I don't know how to pronounce it. There's two A's that always messes me up. Um, sure. But yeah, no, it's a, it's a incredible iron. You know, it's got the adjustable temperature you can raise and lower. It's got a digital readout, so I know what the temperature is. Uh, I assume it's accurate. Um, but it made it made things it made quick work of the stuff I do. Which now that I'm getting my solderings getting better, I'm I'm thinking about you know buying kits and learning to build pedals myself. And I that's where I think our Discord's really cool. We've got a bunch of we got several builders in there who just talk about the stuff they're doing or people who do repair. It's been a lot of fun, and it's kind of inspiring me to try to make stuff. We'll be right back. This podcast is supported in part by String Joy Strings. I'm a snob, at least that's what people tell me. I'm never okay with good enough, and that's where Stringjoy strings come in. They're better than good enough. They're the best. Stranger are making some of the finest strings available today right up the road from me in Nashville, Tennessee. They offer custom sets, balanced tension, coated strings, the works. If you need it, they can probably make it happen. You should be using Stringjoy strings, and if you're going to order from them, you really could help this podcast out by clicking the affiliate link down in the description or show notes below. You get amazing strings, I get a little bit of that back to help the show keep going. It's a win-win situation. Get your Stringjoy strings today. Yeah. Yeah, guitar pedals, 
Um, you know, there's troubleshooting involved, and the first one probably won't go well, but... Yeah. I mean, I really don't have an affinity for electronics, and I've gotten to the point where, you know, I'm releasing my own work. Um, yeah. It, it really, if you just grind through it and just, you know, continue to learn, continue to refine your process, there's no reason why really anybody can't build a guitar pedal. It's, it's a pretty simple electronic circuit at the end of the day for, you know, the majority of commercially available pedals, like... Just kind of like with guitars, there's a legacy with guitar pedals, like, um, you know, the Proco Rat, um, MXR Distortion Plus. I mean, they're pretty simple. Like, you could, right. if you took six months, you could make one easily. You know? Yeah, and that's, you know, it's been one of those things. Uh, um, I've had, you know, electrical engineer friends, a couple of them patrons of this show, um, who I'm like, I've had to sit them down and like, no, explain, because there's been a mental block for me in getting it and like the way circuits are wired up, like the physical wiring of it up, you know, and looking at how it's done and like, no, no, no. I get what you are explaining, what you think is the simplest version of this. I need you to go down two more steps, like go down two more. And actually I'm starting to understand and I'm actually feeling pretty good about the idea of building something, but let's talk about that. So you've released a pedal. Um, And uh, listeners, depending on when this show goes out, or yep, there you go. Um, for for YouTube viewers, you can see the screen. Um, it is the uh, I actually have right here as well. This is actually number one. This is actually on loan from you. That will be going back to you because there will be a demo up over on listener. Depending on when this goes out, it may already be up or it may be upcoming. Um. Because we're 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 in the uh, for those of you that are listening to this way later at a recording we're we're in the midst of December twenty twenty two holiday season you know schedules are what they are um, you know this this podcast could go out the day after we're recording it could go out a week after um, but so you've released this pedal it is a it is an overdrive boost and distortion in one box uh, yes. with a switch to go between them. Uh, I was actually playing with it a bunch before we started recording. Um, and I'm really, really enjoying it. It's um, I, I love the fact that your first pedal, you did a two band EQ instead of just a three knob overdrive. I like, I like having multiple bands of EQ. So let's talk about this. Uh, why start with this pedal? Uh, well, this pedal was basically a natural progression of what I had learned over time. Um, I basically, the first guitar pedal that I made was a one knob MXR micro amp clone, which is like a queen boost, op amp queen boost. Yeah. Uh, then from there, um, I think, you know, my next pedal, I figured, well, I'll add a volume pot because that's easy. You know, it's basically just three connections. And so then I had, you know, volume and gain. Then uh, with op amps, if you add a switch um, and add two diodes um, in opposite directions, that basically gives you clipping or what's known as soft clipping. So it's kind of like an overdriven sound. So on a switch, I had, you know, queen boost, and then I introduced the diodes, which, you know, so now I have queen boost, I have overdrive. Then from there, um, you know, I had to think about a EQ section. So I added, 
I, I tried a bunch of different styles and eventually landed on this one, which mm -hmm. I like the idea of, you know, I, I hate to use the word transparent when talking about guitar pedals, but uh, that's basically like what I wanted. Um, basically, you know, you turn the knob to the right, it boosts, you turn to the left, it cuts, and in the middle, it's flat. So that's right. Um, that's basically what I wanted for this so that when you turn the pedal on, you can, it, it's basically, you can add as much or as little as you want. Um, so once I had, you know, the EQ, I had the gain pod, I had the volume, I thought, you know, well, there's really like four styles of, um, gain pedals, you know, clean boost, overdrive, distortion, and also fuzz. And so I, I tried to you know, add a fuzz. It's basically um, adding two more diodes, um, this time to ground instead of um, with the op amp. And figuring out the switching was really difficult, but eventually I got it. And um, that's kind of how I landed on this. It was, like I said, it was pretty much just a natural progression of what I had learned over time. And, you know, I, I made a lot of mistakes with it, like in the prototype and the designing but eventually landed on a design that like functions perfectly how I wanted it. And, uh, yeah, then from there, like once I had the circuit design, um, then all of the other considerations came into play, like the enclosure color, the knobs, the, um, you know, the packaging, everything else that goes yeah, along yeah. with products. But that's kind of how this went down. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, you know, when, when you sent this out to me, uh, to, to try out and do some, do some, uh, videos with, I intentionally didn't ask you anything about it. I was like, I want, I don't want, I don't want to hear, Oh, well, you know, it's similar to this pedal or that pedal, or it's got this vibe or that vibe. I was like, no, no, I don't want to know. Just, I'm going to get it, plug it in. I'm going to hear it and see what, and it was, it was a really, really pleasant surprise. Cause you know, you I, I think I complained on a podcast on one of these podcasts recently. I've like, a ton of drive pedals sitting around, you know, uh, Timmy's and drive a Tim and like so many of them. And this, Oh, it's going to get some, so much flack. They're, they're derivatives of essentially a tube screamer circuit. Sure. They, they are, they, they move the EQ around maybe they move the resonant peak a little bit. Maybe they have a little more gain, a little less gain, a little more bass, a little less bass. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, we've all got pedals we love and we hate. I have really started to love much lower gain pedals than I used to, which is um, something I loved about yours is that it's it's a I wasn't sure. I didn't know if this would be like a really like hardcore, like really push and really compress kind of thing like a tube screamer. I know if it didn't know if it'd be a little more open, kind of like a um, I don't know, like a light speed or a. a blues breaker type of thing. And that's where I think it lives. Uh, I'm really enjoying it on the lighter gain side of things, really pushing my amp just a little bit on it. Similar to the way I use the Greer light speed, which is a pedal that I absolutely adore way more than any person should love an inanimate object. Um, it's, it's really disgusting. Um, so um, I really, I, I like that about this, this, this pedal. Uh, the distortion is good, but I'm not, I'll be honest, I'm not a distortion person in general. I'm an overdrive person. I'm that, I'm that stereotypical, I don't like John Mayer that much. I like John Mayer, but uh, I, I'm that guy. Everybody knows that guy. Um, 
So I don't know. I really, really enjoy that. Um, but the boost setting in the middle where I, I plugged that into my Tyler uh, Princeton reverb style amp mm-hmm. and turned it up. And that boost hitting it was just, that's exactly what that amp needs. Um, I think we talked about it. My higher, my higher wattage amps, I needed to use the overdrive to get sort of that effect that I wanted to get that little bit of compression. Sure. But so you started, um, you started, you got, you got this pedal out now. It's available on your website right now for purchase. Indeed, uh, I yeah. think, I think you were working out a few automation kinks there on the website before we get started, but I'm sure that's all going to be wrapped up before this episode airs. So y'all go over to that website, check it out. Yeah, um, that was just a minor, minor thing. It doesn't affect, you know, purchase. It's it's just technology. It just means on the back end. I think the issue was it's just giving you more work that you have to actually go do it autom- do it yourself yeah. instead of it doing yeah, something automatically. <laughs> yeah, quality of life thing for 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 people with small businesses. Um, so you started with a drive pedal. Obviously, you're not going to stop there because that's not where what people do. I can't I can't think right. of anyone any company that put out a drive pedal and stopped there with the exception of well no. I, Take that back. I just named like three in my head. Um, the Klon. Somewhere. The Klon was the one that popped that in I my head. Does, does Crowther make anything besides the hot cake? I don't know. I don't know. I, I know that's the most famous one. But, yeah, uh, me too. I don't have one. I've never had one. I really need to get one. But um, so what's next? I mean, I know you've just released this, but it's sort of like sort of like putting out an album, right? By the time an artist puts out an album, they're like, whew, finally that's done. They've already moved on to the next thing, right? It's it's right. only new to the people buying. It is not new to the artist. It's years old by that point in their head. Pedals are yeah. kind of the same way. But, you know, people release a pedal, they're like, okay, that's out in the wild. I can work on something else now. Yes. Um, yeah, with me, I the way that I kind of design, um, I have a lot of things going concurrently. Um so there are certain things that are further along than others. Um, like the winter storm, for example, took about two years um, okay. from an idea in my head to, you know, now selling it. Um, and I have other pedals along the way. Um, the next pedal that I'm going to be selling um, is actually this one. This is a, let's see if I can get it in. Oh, not it's uh, this is actually a prototype. Uh, the graphics right. are, uh, you know, not done. I'm going to have somebody do that. The circuit is complete. The layout of the PCB is complete. And uh, it's basically a complete departure from the Winter Storm and any other conventional guitar pedal. So I'm really oh. going extreme with this one. Um, basically what it is is uh, I'm calling it the Spellbook. And... It is a self-oscillating distortion and fuzz pedal with three different modes. So you can choose three different octave ranges. Um, basically, in oh. mode one, it goes from a like a low E to a high E. Mode two, it goes from a low B to a high B. And then in mode three, it also goes from a low B to a high B, but it's an octave lower than mode two. It, it's You're going to have to listen to it and hear yeah. it to understand it because it's it's tough to talk about. Um, there's also a, a, an EQ section, two knobs, um, basically a bass and treble with like with it being flat in the middle, 
uh, for one knob, and then for the other knob, it's emits control. Same idea. Um, okay. So it's, I, I'm hoping to have this done in like the first half of 2023. Um, oh, so I basically soon. just need, yeah, pretty soon. Um, I just need to uh, contact somebody to do the graphics for me. I have somebody lined up for that. Um, and then it's, I, I'll probably end up doing a uh, Kickstarter for this one and, you know, just all the marketing um, that, you know, goes into this type of thing. And, yeah. uh, yeah, it's going to be a very different type of pedal and, uh, it should be interesting. Yeah. I, I love octave fuzz. I am so bad at finding places in the styles of music I play to use it, but I love mm-hmm. octave fuzz a whole lot. So that's really rad. I like the fact that you kept sort of at least this, the controls are the same layout. I, I like yeah. that consistency in, you know, whatever pedal maker, this is, this is my OCD. I'm not truly OCD, but this is like the weird minor compulsion I have is that I like to look at a pedal and know, recognize that style uh, by somebody. And that comes down to the layout controls. Like it's some consistency there. Um, sort of like when you buy a Chase Bliss pedal, the smaller one, the, the smaller ones, you know, it's going to be a six knob pedal with probably some switches and then the dip switches right. on the back. There's a consistency in their style. Um, I like the idea of multiple bands of EQ in an octave fuzz. Um, well, ac- actually, uh, you're, uh, I might have said octave fuzz. Um, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. But, you... uh, it's actually self-oscillating. Oh. So uh, it, it's, it's, like I said, it's not, a, it's not anything conventional. Um, oh, well, now I'm even more intrigued. I, I I'll, definitely have to... won't have a place for it. But <laughs> no. <laughs> No, I don't think so. But uh, I'll have to like I'll have to send you some sound clips because um, yeah. I'm still like figuring out how I how I like to use this pedal, and I I have some good ideas. It's more it's more of a, like a synth based um, guitar pedal as opposed to like something more tra- uh, traditional. Although okay. you said octave fuzz, I do actually have something which will I, I'm hoping to be my third guitar pedal release, which is an octave fuzz. So. Yeah. There's not enough people making octave fuzzes, and I really no, I, I love them. Yeah, somebody, I'm sure somebody's listening that they're like Philip. There are so many octave fuzzes. There's not enough. There's there can be more. Um, okay, that was my bad, but yeah, self oscillating. See, now I have no idea. Like you're you're outside yeah. my idea of what to think that thing sounds like. So I'm definitely going to look forward to the sound clips. Uh, you should maybe post some over in the Discord. Uh, in, in will, let yeah. folks hear those and just weird people out. I'm I'm trying to yeah, get this is a weird into one. I'm trying to get more into weird sounds. Like um it's it's back here in one of these boxes. Um I borrowed the um oh I want to get the company right because I think it's Leon over at Pelican Noise Works. Um uh I think he made the Benson pedal, not Benson as in Chris Benson. So don't, don't get that twisted. I'm sorry, not Benson. It's the Benford. So yeah, the 6,100. Um, I borrowed it from Scott over at, um, uh, the effects loop. It is the oddest pedal I've ever, ever messed with. 
It's got three modes. One's a hall reverb with a fuzz on the reverb trails. Um, there's another one that's a digital fuzz ring mod tremolo phaser high mid boost. And then another setting that's like a pitch, a glitchy pitch shifting delay. That's the one I really liked, actually. But it's like, I like the, I love that there are some just oddball pedals out there that you don't know what they do. They're just going to make you think about the instrument a little differently. Um, yeah. That's it's so I'm really I'm really excited to hear it and see what you're doing with that. Yeah, um, kind of the reason why I made this. Um, actually, if, if you've owned a like a Boss DM2, um, if you turn all of which is like Boss's delay pedal, analog delay right, pedal, right. Um, I think it's Bucket Brigade, but anyway, if you turn all of the knobs up on that, um, it starts to self oscillate, like it starts to. Right compound upon itself and i found this interesting like i did this one day the problem that i had with it was that it gets insanely loud very quickly and so it's not exactly usable um so i kind of thought that you know i i like this but i was wondering like if i could play my guitar through this and so i i, I started to look into circuits that would allow me to do that like have like an oscillation that i can also like basically brute force my guitar signal through it. <laughs> and uh, the Spellbook, it, it basically, I think this is another pedal where I've, I've had it for, I've been having, you know, the design for about two years or longer at this stage. And um, I finally like, got it to work. And it's, it's a strange pedal. Um, but it, it's actually, I saw somebody... I saw somebody make something like similar and they released it, I think maybe three or six months ago. It's uh -huh. the Acorn Amps ADHD. Um, it, that's like the most oh. similar thing that I can um, kind of say that my pedal is like. You may have seen it. I think, um, I've, I think I've William John I've... Bennett uh, released a demo of this one. I did have, I, so I was in Atlanta of a month or so ago and you know acorn is an, an atlanta based company and uh, they had this they had the adhd at a couple of the shops i went to but i had no time to sit and plug it in and and you know it's one of those things that also i when i go in a music store i rarely grab you know ask to plug in pedals i'm usually just going to grab a guitar plug into an amp and play that way but um they had a pedal board set up with a bunch of them and uh I wanted to, but just time. I was trying to squeeze everything into this like tiny time window I had. Um, Acorn's making some really cool, really cool stuff. Um, so I'll have to go listen to that as well, and it'll give me an idea of what's going on here. Um, yeah, I'm not quite sure how close it is to what I'm doing. I yeah, I get the impression that it's fairly different, but I uh, I also found it interesting because it's kind of like parallel like our minds were kind of on parallel tracks. Um, not sure. Like if it's just like a, a single person who releases his, those battles or if it's a company, but um, it, it's definitely like an interesting take. Well, you know, there's that phenomenon that, um, Oh, what is the, I, I can't remember what it's called. Coincidental occurrence phenomenon. Maybe that's not it, but it's like that it's, that that event where you realize that 
multiple people who don't know each other come up with the same idea uh, roughly the same time and you start to see that happen. Um, I think Josh Scott actually did a Monday talk about this kind of thing that, but you know, it, there's no contact. There's no, it's just simultaneous uh, evolution of an idea. Um, yeah. It's, it's just, it's a fascinating <laughs> phenomenon where you, I'm trying to think of like, I used to have a really good illustration of this and now my mind is, is completely left me, but you know, it's like, the invention of the light bulb, multiple people came up with the idea. We're working on it at the same time. And, you know, Edison famously beat someone to the patent office by minutes or whatever. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not a, an electrical history historian, um, but uh, it's that concept. So, yeah, I think, I think there is something to that because I think we see it in guitar pedals all the time. Multiple people release a pedal and they're like, Oh, these three builders were all sort of thinking the same thing like at the same time to put this idea out. Uh, and that's just talking big builders. That's not talking, um, you know, the, the hundreds of smaller builders. Now I think somebody, uh, guesstimated that there's like over 1200 pedal companies out there now. Interesting. Yeah. I that's wouldn't all. be surprised if there's more, I mean, yeah, I wouldn't they be pop up all the time. Yeah. It's wild. There's, it's such a great time to be a guitar player that likes pedals. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's it's such an incredible time. Uh, I mean, you're putting out pedals, and then I've had some other great pedal makers on the show, and and everything from you know whatever simplest one knob fuzz you want to play to things like uh, uh, the my my favorite scary pedal of this past year that I picked up, the Microcosm. I'm like, I don't, I still don't know what this does. I play it; it makes things happen. I still don't know how it happens. I turn knobs, and it's fun. Um, but it's, it's such a wonderful world to, to be wonderful time to be in guitar and to have get into pedals. So the, the other thing that I've seen pictures of, you posted, a uh, some pictures of ant building. Is that something you think you're going to do later? Or is that just something you do for fun? Uh, that one was, uh, basically just for fun and just to do it. Um, I've considered, um, you know, making a product along those lines, but, I think probably leave it to others for now. Um, maybe someday, like I'll, I, I don't anticipate like me becoming an amp builder for a few different reasons. Um, it's I appreciate amplifiers, but it's not really like I, I didn't really get into this whole thing to be an amp builder. Also, I as far as the market is concerned, yeah, I think that amps are becoming less and less um prevalent among a lot of players and i i i'm not really sure of the viability of it long term but yeah, so, not not that that would stop me because i'm you know like, yeah you do what you want kind yeah. of thing but it but i i definitely think that is something we're getting into and that's something i i want to like i want to just disagree with so bad like because i love amplifiers i'm an amp guy i like amps more than i like guitars more than i like pedals i just love amps and yeah, the, the market is shifting there and seeing less and less demand for guitar amplifiers. Um, uh, I was just on, uh, and I think by the time this airs, it will have aired, I hope, um, was on the Guitar Nerds podcast. I was part of their guitar uh, gear of the year. And uh, the list of amplifiers that, that were released in 2022 was small. 
Yeah. It was, uh, yeah. It was, we were hunting for more. We were trying to find more to put in there. And uh, it was more than in 20 and 21. I'll say that, but it it's still a small list. And I just think that the, that world has shifted. Um, and I just don't know. I, I, I don't know how it's going to look here in the next 15, 20 years. Now, by then I hope I'll probably be retired and I'm going to be done doing this and I'll be, you know, chilling out playing my now vintage guitars that I bought in 2021. Um, <laughs> that, uh, uh, I, I don't know. The, also the boomer, the boomer in me wants amps to always be around just because it's my favorite thing. Yeah, I mean, I certainly appreciate nice amplifiers, but um, I think, you know, the market shifting also with, you know, you can just plug your guitar into an audio interface and, you know, play virtual amps. And also a lot of uh, amps being sold, like probably that list that you were talking about, as far as the amplifiers are concerned, there's probably a lot of modeling, uh, a lot of digital amps, that type of thing. And there were, uh, there were quite a few. Yeah. Which, you know, it, it's fine. Um, like I, I'm, I guess I'm more traditional in my guitar playing, um, because I appreciate like a tube amp and I found that like when I were, or when I was kind of learning guitar, I had a line six flex tone three, which was like a modeling amp better than a spider. But, um, I found that like, you know, it had a lot of good sounds, but, you know, out of the 24 amplifiers that I could, that I could have been playing, I really only ended up playing like two or three. And so it, it didn't really make sense to have, you know, all of these amps and, you know, if I'm only going to use a couple. So yeah, that, that's, that's kind of that, my feeling. on. on that's my amps. thing about amps in general is like, you know, I've got a bunch of amps sitting around the house now and they just keep multiplying and, I still, you know, tend to play one or two of them around the house. And it's like, I, I have that internal struggle of why do I keep so many amplifiers when I know the sound I like the most? You know, I basically keep them around for that one day every six months where I'm like, I really want to play this sound for, you know. And so I sink money into having that around for that one time every six months. And, you know, I, I played Helix. I was a Helix player for a while. They sound good. I've played the quad cortex. They sound good. Um, uh, talking about plugging into an interface, the uh, the uh, neural uh, DSP uh, simulations sound great. Um, I've heard nothing but amazing things of the Mixwave uh, Benson amp suite that they've got. Um, I definitely think we're in a, a weird world when it comes to amplifiers and, and where they're going to sit in a market here in the next, even the next five years may look a whole lot different. Uh, it's, sure. it's not, it's, it doesn't have to be the 20 year mark that I was throwing out originally. It's, you know, here in the next three, five years, it's going to look completely different. And I think Fender did a really good job of jumping on it with their, you know, their tone master series where they're like, okay, we're going to, we're going to get into this where we can do this, these kinds of digital amps, but we're going to make them like, we're going to try to appeal to those people that still want a traditional looking, traditional, you know, aesthetic of an amplifier. Because I keep seeing pictures of ampless stages and they just look wrong to me. Yeah, they, they look kind of weird. Like I've, I've been to, uh, 
I've been to like metal shows where, um, you know, they were using like a, like a, a Helix or what's it called? A, a Kemper. The Kemper, And yeah. like, I'm, I'm standing right next to the stage and like, there's not, like, there's not a lot of air moving and it's just like, this is kind of weird. Like, you know, this is, it feels wrong. Yeah. Like, there needs to be some, some volume being pushed. Yeah. It just, it, it doesn't, it doesn't feel right yet. I can remember when I like, Oh three, I was in school at MTSU and I went to see uh, the spin doctors were playing at the Murphy basketball arena. They're on campus at MTSU and I'm down front and uh, the guitar player for the spin doctors is playing through two 50 watt marshals into four twelves. And all I heard all night was guitar. (laughs) I, I could not, could not hear bass. Could not hear the vocalist. Could I could bear? I, there was definitely a snare drum. I do remember us hearing a snare drum, and uh, and guitar. Just and so I get it. Uh, I I understand the the appeal of being able to have that much control over the sound out front and the the stage volume. But as a musician, I just the the person I am. I, I prefer to have that stage volume in the sound. I hate I hate in ear monitors. I use them for gigs that that need them, and I hate them. I, I don't know. It's I'm gonna have to let go, but I'm gonna keep being the old man screaming at clouds uh, about this. That I'm just gonna continue to be it. Actually, I think I'm. I, I just turned 42 really recently, and uh, I think I'm old enough now to just not care and be crotchety about it. Uh, n- no one told me at what age I get to be a crotchety old man who is stuck in his way, so I'm picking 42. Um, okay. That's that's just gonna be me. Um, but I don't know. Uh, I've deviated far off topic at this point. But uh, so as we're getting really close to the end of the regular episode, listeners, if you enjoy this conversation or any of the other conversations on 40 Watt Podcast, you can go over to Patreon. You can subscribe and you will get extra episodes for only five dollars a month. You'll get an extra episode every uh, show that comes out. Um, already lining up guests for next week, next year, sorry, next week. Next year is going to be a great season. I'm really excited about some of the guests I've got coming on. Um, I've got some. I've got some really uh, a couple of like hardcore guitar heroes coming up on that, that next season. So y'all be sure to tune into that. I'm going to uh, ask you though before we leave. I'm going to leave some practical advice. I'm going to. I'm going to go lean into your guitar repair work. Okay. So the let's let's say the average person wants to get into guitar repair. They want to start working on their own guitars. Now they they've got you know the normal stuff. They've got a soldering iron. They've got you know screwdrivers. They've got let's say they want to dive deeper than you know being able to swap their pickups or uh, do the setup on their guitar. What are three tools? Say they want to start looking at which is this is where I am. So I'm actually asking for me. I'm the friend. Um, they want to get into, you know, things like crowning frets and leveling frets and maybe into possibly refretting. What are the what are the first three most important tools they should be looking at getting? Because I'm really curious about this. Um, that's it's a bit of a tough question because there's a lot of tools that you you need to do it properly. Right. Um, I would say as far as like as far as stuff that you don't want to cheap out on, get a good pair of like fret cutting pliers. Um, 
like spend like 50 bucks. I know that like I, I'll, I'll say it. Uh, the stew Mac pair is not good. Um, really? the one that they sell is not good as much as I love stew Mac. Um, the particular pair that I'm thinking of, I would say avoid and get something, get something like 50 bucks. Um, okay. because that can use, be used to clip the thread ends once you install the frets. Um, basically get it close to flush with the end of the board. You can also pull frets if you need to. Um, so I would say that those are valuable to have. Those are like worth the investment. You don't want to cheap out on that. Um, let me think other parts of fret work. Um, one thing that I, I consider essential at this stage for me, um, and this is like, it's expensive. Um, it's like $700 or so. Um, but like, I, I couldn't do this without it. It's the early wine neck jig, which Stuart McDonald sells. Um, oh yeah. I would, if you're really serious about, about this type of thing, um, I would definitely look into getting that. Now there's, there's a learning curve with it. Like there's a, a huge learning curve with fret work in general. Um, but if you're somebody who like really wants to do this and do this as best as they possibly can, um, I would, I would tell you to really consider getting something like that because it just makes things so much easier. Like you strap the guitar in, it's not moving around. It's, it just makes working on it like as easy as possible. Um, but that's, that's an expensive tool. Um, yeah, this this is for someone who's really serious about getting into it and probably not just working on their own guitars, but looking to, to work on other guitars. Um, let me think. Another couple smaller tools. Um, good files. Good files are really important. Um, for a long time, I used like just, you know, what you would pick up at the hardware store. You know, I try and modify them and just don't cheap out on files because they're really going to save you a lot of time and frustration. Um, also, yeah, like, I, I actually learned that the hard way really recently. I had a guitar that I needed to widen a fret slot on and I have, you know, some plain old hardware store files that I've sort of made work or modified and, um, I ended up having to rebuild that slot because it. I definitely, I was just trying to widen it and I definitely managed to cut depth when I didn't want to. And so I had to do the whole thing with, uh, you know, using uh, bone shavings and Loctite and rebuild that slot and recut it. And uh, yeah, I need to, I need to spend money on some good fret files and just like, or good nut files, have good files. Yeah, files in general, whether they're nut files or files for crowning or, mm-hmm. you know, just, I would say don't cheap out on those. Um, I would also say, um, like sanding beams, aluminum sanding beams, I use them all the time, not only for fret work, but for just things in general. Um, okay. You can find those. Uh, I think Philadelphia Luthier Supply has them. Uh, Stuart McDonald sells them. It's a, a fairly expensive. It's you know maybe a hundred to two hundred dollars, 
Um, you get three of them. I think you can buy them piecemeal, but I, it's good to have all three. I actually, I'm restoring a, a Tysco guitar and I, you know, I was doing, I was re resurfacing the fretboard and I used all three of them last night. And oh, so, awesome. um, yeah, I, I would say really look into those because, you know, they're, they're just a, a really useful tool for doing fretwork for, you know, resurfacing fretboards. Um, pretty much every time I use, or every time I do fretwork, I use those. And also uh, self-adhesive sandpaper is another one. They go yes, hand-in-hand that's, with those. That's one I've got to get because I am fighting. I, I've had just a block, you know, the blocks that have like the, the nail points on each end and you pull the sandpaper over it and it kind of holds on. I'm so tired of fighting that thing to keep sandpaper on it. It's, and then, you know, inevitably it's not as tight on there as I want it to be. So it's a little loose. So when I'm sanding, there's some give to it that makes it a little less predictable. And when you're sanding and I don't know, it's, it's, it's definitely one of those things that has deterred me from working on projects before. Cause I'm like, I don't want to mess with that thing. Right. So, Yeah, self-adhesive sandpaper. Can 100% agree there. Got to get that. Awesome. Well, that's a good starting point, especially I'm I looking at pictures of that neck jig now. I did not, I'll be honest, I didn't know that thing existed. It, I would say it's like there are, are like very good luthiers who don't have one and sure. you know, get great results. Um, I've just found personally that it's worth every penny. Um, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna watch their video on how to use it after this podcast after we finish this recording, and because I'm really curious about how that works. Yeah, it's uh, it's another thing like it's another learning curve in and of itself, but I found it to be tremendously useful. So. Yeah, well, awesome. Well, David, thank you for coming on the show. Hopefully, folks are gonna go over, click the links below that are down in the description of this episode, either on YouTube or in your favorite podcast player. Uh, go find David Ross Musical Instruments on the web, uh, on Instagram. Uh, make sure to go check out uh, demos of the Winter Storm. My demo should be up by now. If it's not, come yell at me. Um, uh, also, uh, some demos. I'll link uh, uh, William's demo and a couple of others. Um, go check those out. Uh, there'll be a link, obviously, down below where you can go buy it if you are so inclined. Um, and... Uh, Obviously, David, you're in the uh, New York area. If somebody wants to um, get some guitar repair done, I, I'm sure they can contact you through that link as well. That, yeah, that definitely. Work. Just uh, you know, email me. Find me on social media. Um, yeah, I'm in uh, Binghamton, New York, uh, Broome County, upstate New York. So, awesome. Um, if you're if you're in the area, give me a shout. Awesome. Well, listeners, uh, thank you for coming to listen to another episode of the 40 Watt Podcast. I'm really excited. Um, This is going to be the last episode for 2022. Um, Hope you all have a wonderful holiday, uh, whichever version of the holiday season you celebrate, and have a wonderful new year. We're going to see you in season three, starting in 2023. Super excited. Um, Third year. I, I did you know, getting into the third year of this podcast, I did not think I'd make it this far, to be honest. I figured I'd do a few episodes and then life would get too busy for me to even consider doing it. But here we are still going. Uh, I appreciate all of your support. And speaking of support, I want to thank all of my Patreon supporters. 
Y'all are the real rock stars that make this uh, this uh, show happen. And so I'm going to thank personally Alan Gresham, our newest Patreon supporter at the $5 level. Also, we've got uh, Andy Koning, Giacomo Ride, Jeffrey Walks, Jim Burns, Kyle Harris, Rick Calhoun of Honey Picks, Scott Hamilton of The Effects Loop, and Tom Kelly. Also at the $10 level, we got Ben Fair, Dan Pilver from Lewitt Microphones, and Heath Bat. Thank you all for all of your support, helping make this show continue to happen. Your support is so greatly appreciated. And uh, until next time, until season three, be good to yourselves, be kind to each other, and make some noise. This episode is brought to you by the supporters of 40 Watt Podcast over on Patreon. Go over to patreon.com slash 40 Watt Podcast, where for as little as $3 per month, you can help support the podcast and get every episode ad-free. For $5 a month, you'll get every episode ad-free as well as a bonus episode every week. I can't overstate how thankful I am for the support of my patrons and hope you'll consider joining the team and helping keep this show on the road.